Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the New Slant Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Newback. This week, our podcast being brought to you once again by our friends at Bet Online. So, shout out to the good folks there for keeping our lights on. With me, as always, hoping that the storm passing overhead in South Philadelphia will not interrupt this podcast in the process of recording. My buddy, my pal, as always, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you? I don't care if the power goes out because I'll still have 5G and still be able to tweet since I am now back on Twitter. Thank you to the powers that be and some good friends for the help. Got friends in high places at Twitter. You don't yep. need to name names, but uh, I don't need to name you know, names. But Marion Day, I don't. <laughs> Could be. I, yeah. Who's to say? Who's to say? Really? Um, well, anyway, the. Uh, this week, mercifully, we are finally, actually, basketball games are happening as Seamus and I are speaking on Wednesday afternoon. They are just scrimmages, so they don't count toward anything, but live sports are starting to come back. Major League Baseball opening day is this week, and the Sixers play their first game, their first scrimmage game anyway, uh, on Friday afternoon, so... The long national nightmare is sadly still long going, but at least we'll still have basketball to get us through these times. Uh, before we get there, the Sixers have been in Orlando for, you know, about, I want to say two weeks now. I'm not a math wizard, but they were there on the 9th. Seamus and I are talking on the 22nd, so that's just short of 14 days. Look at me, all my former math teachers are probably proud of me right now not Um, a big math guy (laughs) so 13 days into being in orlando and keeping in mind that they did have to quarantine at the start of that trip joel Embiid and al horford have yet to share the floor together like they've played against one another in practices they've both been involved in different lineups since arriving in orlando for practice but brett brown said on tuesday night yeah on tuesday or monday i don't the days are all blending together at this point that they had not spent any time together yet and you know to me i thought that was a pretty big deal because while i think the move to change the starting lineup had indicated that horford's role was diminishing they do still have to get some time together because Joel and Al have not gotten much time together at all this year without Ben Simmons being on the floor with them. And so I don't know how much you read into this, Seamus, but just knowing how little time they've worked on these looks where it's the two of them and, you know, maybe a couple of guards and a wing. But I look at this as like, man, what is Al Horford actually going to do once these games start? So Joe's supposed to play, what, 38 minutes a game, which seems unrealistic in reality, but... Yeah, that's the target that... Obviously, with Joel, everything's always fluid, but Brett has said 38 minutes is his ideal for Joel. I mean, I don't see that, but to me, the ideal is Al plays 15 minutes a game and is, you know... 
hopefully the best big backup big man in the league, which is not really where you <laughs> want to be with the guy you just signed to a ginormous contract, I guess almost this time last summer. But what's the issue with not playing? Like, I don't care. I'd rather them not practice together. I'd rather them never share the floor together. Like, the issue with this team is neither Ben nor Joe, nor really Tobias, uh, just from a straight on-floor perspective. Uh, I think Josh Richardson's been a little disappointing this year, and then Al's been a disaster. So trying to figure things out where you could take Al out of the lineup and you know maximize his talents and what he does well without Joe in there is the best plan of action. So, you know, Brett's taking the friggin' hit at this point. Hint, I should say. I guess. I, I think my... Again, I, I'm not advocating for the ultra big front court minutes. I think they've sucked all year. I think it was obviously problematic on paper from the moment that they put pen to paper on this contract. At the same time, I do wonder if if indeed that's the route they go, do they have enough depth and do they trust the rest of this roster enough to to eat those minutes? Like I, I know that Joel's gonna play heavy minutes, Tobias Harris, Josh Richardson, Ben Simmons are all gonna be up in the the high thirties I would expect once the, the playoffs get rolling. But at the same time, like if you're forcing guys like, you know, Furkan Korkmaz and Glenn Robinson and, and even Matisse Seibel and even Shake Milton, who is, you know, he's the apple of everybody's eye right now, but very unproven player, has a, a good skill set, but you know, you never know how these guys are gonna react to albeit an altered playoff setting, but a, a playoff setting nonetheless. I just I think you have to put a lot of trust in guys who are inherently untrustworthy. And so while I don't think they should be spending an abundance of time looking at the Joel and Al lineups without Ben on the floor, I do think it's something that they have to, you know, at least give somewhat of a look to because I just I don't believe in the rest of the group enough to, you know, ignore the possibility that they need to play together. But wouldn't that just be worse than having to give minutes than to Burks or GR3? You know what I mean? Like, if you're having GR3 and Burks out there and you're playing these smaller lineups, none of those players take away what your best player does well. All those players, while they might not be that good to begin with, at least in theory, could complement Joe and even Ben too. So I don't really see the downside in, you know, I think Brett not doing that in practice and specifically saying that to the media sends a message that he realizes what's wrong with this team. And, you know, whatever this abbreviated training camp is, this quarantine break, whatever you want to call it, you know, when he's been backed into the smallest of corners and his job is clearly, clearly on the line, he had no decision but to try to make a switch. And we're going to see if that pays off. And if I had to bet on it, Probably better outcome than you know sticking with the ginormous front court. It is. I just you know it's it's just insane like do I want to do I want to play Alec Burks, you know nineteen twenty two minutes a game in the playoffs? Not really, but they f themselves so hard over the last several years with rounding out the rotation with 
competent bench players that at this point just maximize the ability and the talents of your two best players with complementary players. Again, even if they are not that great, their skill sets at least can improve the game of both Joel and Ben. I'd rather have that than Al Horford's corpse running up and down the floor, clogging <laughs> up the paint and pissing me. Do you know what I mean? For me as a fan, I know you, you have this distance to this team. You're an objective person now. But I'd rather watch GR3 or Burks clang some shots or Furkan get torched on defense than Al just, you know, losing the ball, fumbling at the other team's in transition and gives that big old hand clap. Like, ah, oh, no, I messed that up. <laughs> like, he's a guy playing at the fucking YMCA. Like, I don't need that. I'd rather watch, I'd rather take the shot with, you know, throw Matisse to the Wolves. Can, can he stick it out in the playoffs? I don't know. He has a great vlog, but I'm not sure if that translates to actual playoff performance. But I'd rather see what he has than deal with the stress, anxiety, and the hair ripping out that Horford and Joe share in the court will break. Now, I'm not saying, obviously, to not play Al Horford at all. That would be out insane. Again, he should be, which I need to look at rosters, and it might not be true, the best backup big man in the NBA. And that's what we've said for the last two years. Oh, if they only had a you know, a competent backup big man, they could have beat the Raptors. They could have gone to the finals. They could have done this. They could have done that. They could have you know, beat the team from Moron Mountain. But if you're not playing them together, it gives Al that role they've been craving. And as long as they don't spend too much time on the court together, I would opt for none at all. Just clean break, cold turkey, however you want to say it. I'll live with Furkan and GR3 and Burks and Matisse struggling and playing through it. And Shake, who I believe has the caliber, caliber of talent and personality and persona where I think he can shine in the playoffs, so less concerned about him. But I'll take a I'll take a chance on the randos over, you know, the infuriating artist formerly known as Al Horford. <laughs> Listen, I your point is well taken. I get it. And I it's not like I enjoy I'm not one of these like basketball Twitter nerds who try to pretend like, oh man, I just love watching Al Horford play. Like that's I, that's never been me. And he was even better me. in Atlanta when no one was watching him. <laughs> right, like that. That's never been me. You're not going to hear me defend those types of people. I think one thing to take into consideration is that. Um, and this doesn't necessarily apply to the practice time thing. I, I think. Obviously, the right thing to do is to work on the looks that you want to lean on. And if they really are this confident in in shake or at least want to give shake, you know, a, a good shot at, at winning major minutes and a major role in this rotation, the right thing to do is to do what they're doing and to focus on on looks like that. I do think in certain matchups like the Milwaukee one specifically or even as we watch how this, you know, this Orlando, the Orlando games unfold, the, the style of play might differ or or might look different than the normal playoffs where, you know, I don't know how guys are going to look shooting the ball. Playoff basketball is already admittedly a, a tough, bruising, physical style compared to, you know, regular season basketball. And maybe Al Horford does fit in better in that sort of setting maybe that jumbo front court does work better in that setting i think they've alluded to that all along from the players to the head coach and even out in brand to an extent that 
they believe that they're built for the playoffs. And, you know, maybe that's where we finally see the real Al Horford stand up. And maybe that's where we finally see the value of having him and Joel next to each other. I'm with you, Seamus. I don't think that's something that, you know, they can bank their whole Orlando restart plan around. I, I think that they've done the right thing in the sense that they're focusing on stuff that they needed to do more and, and things that are, you know, going to help Joel and Ben be the best players they can be. I just, I was a little surprised and by a little, I would say like moderately surprised at least that they haven't given those looks any time together so far. I, I do think we'll see it at some point. It's just a matter of of when and how much, I think. Every aspect of this organization should be geared toward, whether it's the draft, free agency, coaches X and O's, to maximizing Ben and Joel. And if, for Joe, if it's not sharing the floor with Al Horford, then don't fucking share the floor with him. That's, listen, that's it's about as... Sh- as quick of a way as you can break that down as any. Uh, let's take a, a quick quick break to talk about our sponsor, and we'll be right back to talk some more uh, Orlando games, as Seamus has called them. So sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events, including the Sixers. Major League Baseball finally kicking off this week. I don't know if you're excited for opening day, Seamus. It doesn't really feel real to me i'm amped but there's no better place to start wagering on opening day and all the games to follow than our exclusive partners at bet online you can check out all the odds futures and props to bet on that are all available 24 7 on the entertainment side floyd mayweather joins the bet online team to bring you a brand new segment the ice is right so floyd talks about all his jewelry and gives you the chance to bet on the cost of his bling to win some great prizes Probably a lot more money than you're going to win gambling, but hey, maybe you're a a savvier gambler than I am. So visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. And remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE for BetOnline, your online wagering experts. So before we dive deeper into the uh, actual basketball side of things, just as a, a quick note that we wanted to make note of on the podcast, Tobias Harris made the decision this week uh, when he sat down for his Zoom call with reporters that instead of talking about basketball or even the one question he was asked was actually about uh, a Russell Westbrook player-led initiative to wear T-shirts with social justice messages that weren't approved by the NBA and Tobias chose instead to call attention to the death of Breonna Taylor. For those of you who are not familiar with Breonna Taylor's story, uh, police in Louisville, Kentucky served a no knock warrant at her home that she shared with her boyfriend, her boyfriend, who's a licensed gun owner thought somebody was breaking into the apartment, fired a warning shot. And the officers involved, whose names are escaping me at the moment, but are obviously freely available 
all over the internet, fired what is believed to be 20 plus shots into the apartment, including one officer who fired shots through closed blinds without being able to see anything into the apartment. And Taylor, who was an emergency medical technician, was killed. And in the, I believe, 131 days since that happened, those officers were put on leave. The officer who shot blindly from outside the apartment lost his job. But two of those officers are still on the Louisville Metro Police Force, and none of them have been charged with any sort of crime in relation to her death. So Harris is not the only player who has called attention to Brianna Taylor's death. Uh, I believe Marcus Smart used his media availability this week he did. to do the same thing. I know that there was a a phone call that the players had to discuss this. And, you know, aside from this, and I think it was a, a great thing, a great job by Harris to call attention to this matter. Uh, we've heard a lot from players on the Sixers and certainly from – Brett Brown as well, that Harris has been a big leader in, in terms of not just, you know, team camaraderie and basketball wise, but on the social justice front, obviously we talked some about him being involved in the protests and, and leading the rookie Matisse Thibel in that way, giving, you know, helping him find his voice. But uh, this week it's been said several times that ever since, uh, George Floyd was murdered by police in Minnesota, that Harris has taken on a large vocal and active role, you know, leading these discussions on this front. And so, you know, even as an objective, quote unquote, objective uh, reporter on the team, member of the media, uh, I just think that Harris's actions are worthy of commendation. And I think he has set a great example not just for his teammates, but certainly for the organization and the city of Philadelphia. The three, the names of those three officers are Jonathan Mattingly, Brett Hankison, Brett Hankison, and Miles Cosgrove. I believe Hankison is the one that lost his job, and I believe that he also was on a a police review board alongside citizens that he was removed from it was like a disciplinary board that they took him off of like you know that we could we don't have to go down the wormhole of the problems with those boards but the guy who's acting most indiscriminately with a a weapon of death is the guy who's reviewing all these disciplinary matters for police and you know that sort of shows you that some of the systemic issues we have in this country but yeah, so I personally just wanted to make sure we on a similar you know, note. Do we have the we have the names that Sixers players are going to be wearing on the back of their jersey? Uh, I think we have some of them. I know Joel Embiid is not wearing uh, any sort of message. He's wearing his name. I don't know if the full if you are aware of the full roster of names or messages they'll be wearing. That would be great, but. Um, Escaping me at the moment if they are out there. Matisse had one. I know that was mentioned, but it was like one of the lukewarm ones. Yeah, I think we don't have to have a whole conversation about the 
the messages there, but the players have done a good job expressing themselves on the fact that, you know, number one, they weren't all necessarily included in the conversation about those. And number two, some of them are, are, I would say, pretty much all of them are very soft, broad stances that, you know, they don't really say much of anything. And in fact, they're actually actively avoiding the topics like racial injustice, like police brutality, that are actually at the center of this current conversation. So, you know, I'm glad that, again, to refocus on Tobias for a second, I'm glad that he's using his platform in this way. It sounds like the Sixers are going to have some sort of team-led or team initiative that they're going to announce soon that I believe Harris is going to be I don't want to say the spokesperson from, but he's going to be the guy to announce it. And, you know, it'll be, it's allegedly, I, I don't have any insider knowledge on this yet, allegedly will be focused specifically on things they can do in the city of Philadelphia. So, you know, it's, obviously this is a nationwide fight. It's something that we have to be aware of no matter where you guys are, are listening from or where you're coming from. But it, it's nice to see the players turn that into action that can help uh, the local community for sure. As your head, like Seamus, I know you and I have been harsh on Tobias in general, just from the basketball side of things. Have have you done? Has your stance on him changed just because of you know, I guess who he's shown himself to be as a person over? the last, let's say, four months or so? I think he's an incredible human being. You know, not he's not an incredible human being for a basketball player. He's just an incredible human being, flat stop. But, you know, I've been a sports fan for 26 years. It's not super hard for me to, to have a disconnect between who a person is in their daily life and who they are on the court or on the field, or really that can be said for anyone in any profession. So while, you know, those games where Tobias shoots two threes and somehow only ends up with 11 points are going to fucking infuriate me, at the same time, I do respect, even during this downtime in the NBA, how vocal he has been and his commitment to social justice. The Players' Tribune article, he wrote all these different things. Um, while the Sixers are probably locked into him for more years and more money than most fans would like, uh, I don't mind having a guy like that in this city for that long. Yeah, I think, you know, as much as the conversation about Tobias has been on the off the court and the difference he's making, and not just with this stuff, he's been a guy who's been involved with a lot of local charities and things since he's gotten here. The reading's been a big initiative for him, online learning for kids who have been forced out of schools due to COVID. I think those are all great causes but i i do think that they need a personality like him in the locker room i don't know that they needed one that's going to be making the money that he did or like that's obviously a separate conversation but i think he's a a bridge builder in a locker room where you know ben is kind of he does his own thing he has like his people that he hangs out with joe is a bit of a loner a lot of these guys that have come in don't really have the attachment to either the their teammates or just the 
the organization, the city. And so, you know, Harris, I think, is going to help them in, in some way start to build a level of camaraderie that they haven't had, but just due to the nature of how the team's been built. So, you know, I don't know that he's ever going to be able to live up to the contract that he's had, but I, I do think that they, they need him, not just from a, a basketball perspective, but for him to tie some things together behind the scenes. He's a good guy in the community. That's all you can say. That's all you can <laughs> say for anyone. That's the, that's the standard. Indeed. Uh, so uh, I guess one last thing before we we go, the Sixers are obviously about to play a few scrimmages before they begin the, I say they begin like they're starting a new season. I, I know these guys, it feels like that to them and it is, but still technically part of the old one. So it's, you know, I don't, I'm still figuring out how to talk about all this, but the three scrimmages coming up Friday, they play the Grizzlies Sunday they play the Oklahoma City Thunder and next Tuesday they will play the Dallas Mavericks and you know I think those are the Grizzlies are probably the worst team of the bunch there but are and don't really match up that well with Philly but yeah it's a a good slate of opponents 37 points (laughs) it's a good slate to get them back in the swing of things I think they struggled with dallas this year okc was they had a rough loss in oklahoma city earlier in the year so i guess what are is there anything specific that you're looking for going into these games seamus beyond the stuff that's the obvious such as you know is everybody in shape and ready for for professional basketball again sure i I guess it obviously refers to what the original segment was about in terms of Joel and Al, are they going to play the, are they going to play together at all? Or is there going to be a game or there's not a game I should say is a scrimmage where both players start and they try to work some things out there. Obviously it seems like shake will be the starter come uh, August 1st against Indiana when we have a real true game. But I wonder if Brett finangles with the starting lineup at all in this scrimmage, given that, you know, just today we saw that, the, the Grizzlies, or not the Grizzlies, the Nuggets started five big men. It was Jokic, uh, Ball Ball, Millsap, you know, one of the Plumleys, I don't know, and then someone else. Did you see that? Yes, that was the, it's like Elton Brand's fever dream right there. Yeah. So I wonder if, I mean, the Sixers don't have enough goodwill to throw out a joke lineup because they are enough of a joke from the top of the organization down right now. But I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I want to see how, obviously, Joe's not going to play 38 minutes in a scrimmage. Or I don't even know if the, how is the scrimmage going to work? Is it like a legit exhibition game uh, without real jerseys on and everything? Or is, are we playing some bullshit scrimmage rules? Oh, no. There, I mean, it's a real game, right? The, the only change was the first scrimmage for all these teams is 10-minute uh, quarters instead of 12. So it's okay. a little shorter to you know, let them acclimate, get their, their legs under them before they take off. But yeah, besides that, like uh, I have the the Nuggets-Wizards game on right now. The replay is on and they're all, you know, full uniforms. They actually put, and I didn't realize they were doing this, they put um, like imaging tech, like not a jumbotron, I don't want to call it a jumbotron, but things around the court to make it seem like it's a Nuggets home game. 
and they did that for the Clippers game as well. So, you know, obviously not anywhere near the same as playing in front of your home fans, but they're at least trying to make it seem like a professional environment, even for these scrimmages. So I think the thing I'm most looking forward to, Seamus, is, and we're not going to find this out before the actual game start because Brett has said he is going to tinker with the rotations early and, you know, give guys different shots. I'm very curious to see who emerges in the, let's say the eight to 10 spots, because I think the, the five who are in the starting lineup are obvious at this point. Horford is definitely going to play. And I think Matisse Thibel is probably the closest thing to a lock of the rest of the group, though, obviously with you know, young players, it's always up in the air. From there, I, I'm curious to see who wins out. It'll it'll be a 10-man rotation right away, but Brett wants to get to nine by the playoffs. So who emerges from the group of Alec Burks, Glenn Robinson, Furkan Korkmaz? Like, who's the guy or the two guys, I guess, that stick? And, you know, Furkan is probably the, the most consistent shooter. He's also the biggest potential defensive liability. Alec Burks has the most ball handling juice, but he's never met a shot that he didn't like and also not much of a defender in his own right. I think Glenn Robinson brings the most to the table as a defender, but his shot can come and go and you know he doesn't offer much off the dribble. So uh, that's probably what I'm most curious about early on beyond the you know the starting lineup look and how to shake do with the starting point guard responsibilities but you know there's a lot to look forward to are you uh are you gonna get mad about losses or anything in these scrimmage games are you saving up your energy for when no. the, the quote-unquote real games start no I, I can't con- I'm so much more mellow during the quarantine where I'm just I'm a big pop culture guy and the thing about pop culture that's great as opposed to fucking sports is if you're watching TV shows that you love or movies that you love or listen to music that you love you're never getting pissed off whereas you know half the time or so 40% of the time uh, that you're watching your favorite sports team you're going to get pissed the fuck off so I'm not really looking forward to that scrimmage uh, not going to really care. And then even the eight regular season games, I'm not going to be up in arms over it. I'm going to, I'm going to save all that, you know, complaining and moaning and being playoff Seamus playing, fuck being fucking annoying when they're the sixth seed and they're down two zero, and I'm calling for everyone to get traded or fired or thrown into a cannon. <laughs> but there were, there was one or two other things I was looking forward to. They're playing, uh, on these three teams. It's Oklahoma city, Memphis, Memphis and Dallas. Dallas, yeah, all of those play. All those teams have great perimeter initiators. Whether it's Ja in Memphis, Doncic in Dallas, or then in OKC, where they have Chris Paul, who's had you know someone who should finish in people's top three for MVP voting. I think uh, SGA, who's been excellent this year, and even Dennis Schroeder, who I think has a six man of the year case. So all of those guys on that team is a lot, and we saw the Eagle, the Jesus, the Eagles, the Sixers struggled with OKC earlier in the year, as you alluded to earlier. So I'm interested to see uh, the perimeter defense on opposing ball handlers, and I'd love to see how Shake does in that situation. I want to see how Josh is doing in that situation. 
you know, after these few months off, and I want to see to what degree Ben is sticking primary ball handlers. I'm pretty pissed that I didn't stump harder for Shea Gilgis Alexander when I was doing draft stuff because I I had him higher. I loved him. Yeah, I loved him and wrote as much when I was doing prospect previews. But when I was when it came down to do like a oh here's guys that I like for the Sixers, I was a little gun shy with him because of, number one the confidence in the shot and the the issues that might be on this team, but also because I think at that point we're still trying to figure out. Is Markel Fultz a thing? And you know no, how many guys can you just throw into the into the mix like that? Like so, you know, didn't really know what to do with him. But I, I will say I'm not too surprised that he's been as good as he's been. And I, he's one of my favorite players to watch in the league. So any excuse to to watch him go to work and Chris Paul, for that matter, another guy who you know, despite his unpopularity among some loud parts of basketball twitter i very much enjoy his his whole package that he brings to the table including some of the more dramatic theatrics um i did yeah, like i'm just excited I for basketball like S- man i did like sga in that draft for the sixers specifically because that was the period where i was adam fultz and i was just in all in on get a dude who can dribble a freaking basketball mode just because of yeah. how much they got embarrassed that postseason by Boston where they just didn't have anyone who could literally be a, a real guard. So you know, everyone wanted Mikal Bridges, and I was like, yeah, in theory, he's a cool complimentary player, but I, I need a guy who can dribble the basketball. I was high on Trey Young in that draft, not patting myself on the back. I'm I'm wrong about I thought Markel Fultz was this stud prospect. I'm not some draft pick, <laughs> but... I really wanted them to try to trade out for Trey Young. If if Doncic were to fall, and he kind of did, that would have been a move I wanted. Um, SGA, those guys, and we got stuck with a a six four power forward. Uh, <laughs> Poor Zaire, man, what a what an experience he's had since he went pro. Just one one series of unfortunate events after another. Yeah, no comment. Um, I want to circle back on something you said, by the way, where you were talking about how your quarantine Seamus is a little more mellow and that, you know, your approach to pop culture and TV shows, etc. is And I'm a Nintendo Switch guy now, too. There we go. I will say, man, you are not... That is pretty unique for pop culture fans, especially for people that are into as like you genre are, franchise comic and books and franchises and what have you. Like, I think the scariest group of people on the internet are pop star fans, and you know, like the Beehive or yeah, I don't remember what the Lady Gaga fans are called. Are they like the Fear monsters oh, or something, something like that. Oh, yeah, they're the little monsters. I think is what they call themselves, something like that. And like Ariana Grande, all these big pop stars have fan bases that you dare say something bad about their idol. You are, you will wish that you have never stepped foot on the internet before. And the same thing with like comic book movies or Star Wars or you know a game that I just played. The Last of Us Part Two. There were a ton of fucking, and this these are people that don't deserve to be taken seriously. There were a There's, ton of people that were mad about that game because of 
um it was an sw representation yeah like representation in the game and calling people social justice warriors and whatever so you know i don't think that pop culture is for the general public removed from anger i am glad that it gives you an outlet where it's like yeah this is just a holistic good thing that i enjoy that doesn't frustrate me and that that allows you that escape from your other fandom because see, it is not that for many people see for thrones and I, I wasn't particularly fond of the ending but did i hate that last season no i was it was game oh, of thrones you know what i mean like I, i'm not someone who freaked out about it. i've read the novels i've you know done the deep dives it's in a binge mode all these different things and you know the first you know six seasons or so or maybe my favorite piece of popular entertainment ever and said season seven not great season eight maybe a little bit worse but you know what they had six season of you know epic fantasy perfection and i'm happy with that and i still wanted to see what happened to my favorite characters star wars i i hated the last the rise of skywalker but i tr- i'm a star wars fan that movie stunk like, yeah I'm, I'm a star wars fan but not like a star wars nut do you know what i mean so like i don't get caught like, yeah that's too much its own thing where i can't get up in arms over little literally every little single star wars thing the way i might with you know a marvel or a true comic book property or something like that i'm, I'm re-watching lost it's ashley's first time and first time i've seen it in like 10 years i uh, love the show and was on obviously very controversial back end of the series and specifically the finale and we're on the last season we only have a handful of episodes left and for all the talk of how confusing the show was back then i think it was a show that was like before it's time when i'm watching it now and it seems actually uh i don't know if you're a lost guy but much i have watched it to completion it's it's rather straightforward in the, in the fourth fifth and sixth seasons obviously there's disparate timelines but uh a lot easier to follow than considered and i, I still think you know, I think season five is the best season after season one and season six is pretty damn good too so uh you know it's different you know, things I- People get up and yeah, I think things age better over time. Like if someone discovers Game of Thrones for the first time in half a dozen years, they might not feel the same way about season eight as the rest of the public who waited, you know, two years or whatever it was for that final season. And it was kind of a dud. Whereas if someone's watching that all, you know, X amount of episodes straight through, they might not have the same experience. Which just speaks to just how people experience pop culture and music and film. Or if you saw a movie in theaters, you know, the week after you got broken up, you might be all in on that movie. Or you heard uh, an album or a song for the first time when you're out partying with your friends. That's what I like about pop culture, too, that it's more personal. Even as someone who is so deeply personal in terms of their sports fandom, I think there is more of a genuine connection with the medium in a non-sports setting in terms of my entertainment portfolio i guess you could say right well you can apply that to like if you think about music most of what music means to people is connected to at least for me i don't want to speak for like the general populace but music to me has always been connected to what is happening in my life like i hear certain songs and i'm like oh man, that takes me back to, 
you know, this time period in college, or maybe it's a song that my dad played when I was growing up or played in the car or played when we had, you know, like family get togethers or whatever. And like, that's part of how I process music, how I remember it. And so I, that is a big thing for me. I, to your point on the like TV shows and stuff, I am with you to a certain extent because I watched the Sopranos long after it had actually aired. And to me, like we won't get into spoilers, but to me, the ending was super fucking clear because it was something that was alluded to in episodes that preceded the finale. And so I felt satisfied with the ending because I was, it was like, you know, I had just seen that. There was no, you know, I'm not waiting a week to find out what happened. It was like that, that last run of episodes I watched all together. And so I felt like I had a complete picture and a sense of a closure at the end of that. Where I'll disagree with you is that with Game of Thrones, I watched it and, you know, I binge watched it. I was not like an early initial adopter for various reasons, but I actually rewatched the whole, like binge watched the whole first seven seasons for the second time before season eight to be like, all right, I'm, this is like, it's go time. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the end game here. And since season eight, happened i have felt other than that initial you know that week or so where it was just the target of everybody in both just like general social media but certainly in critical circles too yeah ever since then i have had absolutely zero desire to think about it talk about it like it's a show that i spent a a decent chunk of my life on and i just like I'm not interested in it anymore. There's no, like, I don't, I'm not even interested really in the prequels or any spinoff series that are coming. Like, I just, there's there's nothing there for me anymore. And I didn't think that was going to be possible. That's how much that I hated that final season. But, you know, I'm glad that it hasn't been totally vaporized for you, at least. There were good cinematic moments. Yeah, I won't disagree with that. But, you know, I... The broader point, though, is I agree with you. I I think the way that people are able to watch things impacts how they receive it and and how it makes them feel. And so, you know, I'm actually interested in that effect uh, in sports now. Like nobody has we're all essentially watching on the same terms. Nobody's going to be at these games for a while I know that different leagues are approaching that differently in the months to come, and it's going to be, you know, state by state, case by case, and for certain leagues. But you know, we're all going to be watching at home, and there's no longer that, you know, communal experience of packing into an arena with twenty thousand strangers or forty to fifty thousand strangers for other sports, and and either booing the shit out of a, a bad performance or maybe seeing something special and creating some memory so uh, i'm interested to see how people respond to sports now that they're actually back because it's it's different for all of us yeah i'm probably i'm pretty sure i'll fall asleep in the third inning of friday's phillies game but i'll be wearing my (laughs) bryce harper jersey regardless do we have a loser of the week before we go or save it for another time no mine my choice would be the detroit pistons for allowing the jump man 
Michael Jordan logo on one of their jerseys, a brutal, brutal cell phone. Yeah, that was, it's a league wide mandate for those that haven't seen it. I think, I don't remember what their, you know, they have these fucking stupid names, Nike for their all these statement, like, statement and icon and whatever. I think it's the statement ones to your it point, Seamus, to have the Jordan logo on every single teams. But it just, you know, given Michael Jordan's beef with the Pistons that was rehashed once again in the the last dance recently that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of pistons fans and certainly a lot of pistons former players so uh, i'm happy to join you on that island for loser of the week and also about do it right while i'm here because i was talking about this on twitter and and want to bring it out for other people who seem to like it and interact with it they got to do the Iris Never Black jerseys next year for the 20th anniversary of the 2001 final squad. It feels like a perfect opportunity. If they were to throw the Jordan logo on those bad boys, ooh. Ooh. This podcast does not need my take on those jerseys at this time. I'll let you enjoy your nostalgia because I think every jersey from that era is a fucking abomination unless they significantly alter it which i guess they would because you know different manufacturer and so on but all you need to see is a picture of alan iverson standing next to matt geiger in the same jersey and you will see that the only reason the people think those jerseys are good is because alan iverson is one of the coolest motherfuckers on the planet and made them look cooler than they actually are okay well they don't have anyone on the team who's as big as loser as matt fucking geiger or gangly weird looking so it's fine yeah but what do you think most people wearing jerseys look like not matt geiger in the nba <laughs> yeah they look worse most what do you people mean, like, are in shape i could pull off a black jersey <laughs> maybe you could seamus but i'm saying gen pop like you put the average person in that jersey they look like shit because it's a shit. Yeah, jersey. not not the one with the gigantic sleeve shoulder pads things that, you know, made it impossible for a normal person to enjoy wearing on the street. But if they have just a normal cut Nike jersey with that's black and has that signage and logo and branding, all bets are off. I think they could do it, but they can't do like they have to make alterations. To They're going to do like too many. What if it's close to that, like 2009, where they like did kind of the obvious and ever and kind of the red, white and blue at the same time. You know what I'm talking about? What if it's closer to that and it says Phila maybe instead? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I think so. I what? like my thing. I think I know what you're referring to. It was when they, just... it was like brands first year as a player. Yeah, not yeah, a yeah. Fucking GM. I just, you know, I like black jerseys generally. I think that they are a good look on most professional athletes. I think those jerseys specifically, I think I think the problem that's hard for me to get past is I think the logo is fucking bad and ridiculous. Oh. It's just, there are like tacky 90s logos that have held up well. Like I love the, we, I think we've talked about them before. The like '90s Grizzlies jerseys are great, uh, and I kind of love the '90s Raptors jerseys. Kind Those are of awesome. Yeah, like they're not my favorite jerseys ever, but I like I. You can probably like like the 2013 Sixers practice squad fucking jerseys that were disgustingly boring. 
Dude, I think people want people end up like, oh, these are cool, and they have all this shit going on, and they end up looking like trash. That old Sixers logo sucks. I'm Which sorry one? to say. Oh, the Iverson the one, one on the jerseys that you want brought back. It's awful. No, it's terrible. Okay. All right. What is your opinion of the new Hawks jerseys that came out while we're on the subject? Fantastic. The black ones are great. It, they're all great because they didn't try to reinvent the fucking wheel. They're just I will very say standard. I, I did like the. I kind of like the the Hawks ones before these too, in a, a kitschy little way. Like the these green. Hawks jerseys are good because they have good colors. That's the only thing you really need. Yeah, black, red, white, and jerseys. blue. Oh, geez, those are terrible colors. The combination that they use to get there is awful. Okay. The Sixers have the foundational color scheme of America in their jerseys. Oh, so Kyle supports fucking... American patriarchy now. No, Philadelphia's history is like America's history. I don't know why we need to abandon that for some fucking early 2000s bullshit look. Because it's, like. it's an alternate jersey. It's a jersey that's different than the normal fucking jerseys. <laughs> They wear alternate jerseys all the time, though. Okay, but they have three like or the, four other jerseys. There's 60,000 jerseys Nike makes a year. They could make a red, white, and blue jersey that is fucking tacky that you would like because it's something different without bringing back these awful <laughs> jerseys that people have to pretend they're cool to protect their childhoods. I mean, I've spent, I've watched more games in red, white, and blue. Sixers jerseys like I don't even have like that many gigantic concrete memories in those jerseys but I, I like them they it's cool to have a black jersey the, you'll never convince me I, I hope they bring them back without changing I'm not them trying to convince they're these you. fucking baggy awful messes and I will personally make fun of every single person that I see wearing them cool <laughs> You can't you can't say shit to me at the parade if I'm wearing one. I will absolutely talk shit to you <laughs> if I see you. Yeah, and I probably won't fucking remember talking to you either. <laughs> uh, all right, buddy. Well, that should about do it for this week's podcast. I'm sure everyone will be. Everyone always gets mad when I drop the black jersey takes, but the black jerseys I will say are the best of that bunch. They're just still not good. So anyway, we will talk to you guys soon, uh, most likely early next week. A late, late version would be after all their scrimmages to you know discuss what we've seen. Probably Wednesday we afternoon we'll record. Yeah, I think that's probably the realistic so, outlook. So Thursday morning. Until then, yeah, sometime in, in that window. So until then, uh, everybody stay safe. Hopefully enjoy some some basketball over the next week or so, and we will talk to you soon. See you.